Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, June 7th. We are here live. It's time for an episode of the Power Hour. We'll be bringing in the team from Pittsburgh Power, I think. It will be Bruce and Pete and Leroy. We'll see here in just a minute who we've got today. We'll be taking all of your maintenance-related calls for the Power Hour. If you have a question about engines, fuel mileage, modifications, troubleshooting, upgrades, emissions, whatever it might be, if it's maintenance-related, if you've got a broke truck, call us. We'll try to help you fix it. We're going to open those phone lines right now. So start dialing. The sooner you dial, the easier it is to get through. If you dial right now, I promise you'll get in. We'll be getting to your calls here pretty quickly today. So line them up, 855-950-3835. Later today, after the power hour, we'll be rolling on into the pit. Politics in trucking. I'll be joined by Stanford Graham today. I'm not sure if John's joining us or not. We'll see. Uh, I've got some uh, interesting things. Actually, it's a very trucking-specific topic I want to talk about today on the pit. Uh, All right, let's find out who we've got from Pittsburgh Power today. Good morning, guys. Uh, uh Uh-oh. Anybody there? Yes, we're here. There we go. Ah, Bruce, are you in Pittsburgh today? I am. Ah, so we have, uh, do we have Pete and Leroy with us as well? Yes, we do. Yes, sir. All right. You guys uh, all in the same office there together, huh? Correct. Awesome. I love that. Kind of miss being there. Yeah, we missed uh, not having you here. It was uh, kind of entertaining. Yeah, it was fun. So, uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I'm listening. Yeah, I've um, I've just got a little bit this morning. Nothing major. Just uh, kind of what's going on. Um, fuel mileage related. We uh, we set another record yesterday on diesel prices. Five dollars and seventy cents a gallon is now the national average. Uh, I've seen prices in California approaching eight and nine dollars a gallon in some places. Um, crazy numbers. Yes, the fuel surcharge can keep up with that, but not for long. And the economy can't keep up with it at all. Uh, but it was interesting as I was working out some numbers, I came across two posts um, on social media that I thought was interesting. One of them, you know, clearly fuel is going to affect trucking. I mean, for the most part, if you've got decent freight, you are getting a fuel surcharge, whether you know it or not, it's baked right into the rates. As of right now, you should not be struggling with fuel unless you're getting less than six miles to the gallon. Then you could have some real problems with fuel prices like this. But I saw this post and I see a lot of people posting like this and there's nothing wrong with it, but we need to get our numbers correct. 
you know, if we're going to complain about this, and we should get our numbers correct. And I just, I've been over these numbers in this post, and I just can't figure them out. Now, I'm going to go through it kind of quick here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But this guy posts a picture of fuel at 6.05 a gallon. Um, I forget where he was, not that it matters. But he paid 6.05 a gallon. Here's what he said. When I filled up my truck, it cost me $1,149.50. Very specific. So I assumed he filled up the truck there where he's showing us the picture at 6059. So I did the math and basically it's about 190 gallons. That's reasonable. Trucks, you know, if you've got Dual 125s, you could put 190 gallons in when you fill up. Uh, it is pretty outrageous to have to spend 1100 and some dollars on one fuel up. But he, then he goes on to say that, um, uh, let me read this so I get it right. This is one truck for one day of fuel. I own three. So for one day of operation, it's costing me 3000 $448 of fuel. And it says, yes, we use a full tank of fuel every single day, sometimes more than one tank per day. So then he goes on, you know, it's um, last week, he spent over $20,000 for one week of fuel on three trucks. Part of the problem I'm struggling with this, he doesn't say whether it's a team operation or whether it's slip seat. And I did a little math. To be able to go through 190 gallons of fuel in a day, it's at five miles to the gallon, which is horrible. But at five miles to the gallon, that's 950 miles. So that's either got to be a team or a slip seat. And it, it just doesn't... Oh, what's that? I said he's going places. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a lot of miles in a day. So it's either a team, a slip seat, or he's getting about three miles to the gallon. Uh, I'm not sure which, but um, I can't imagine that somebody like this is going to be in business for long. Yeah, really. I read that same post. Did you? Yeah. It, um, yeah. The, like I said, if it's a team or a slip seat, then the numbers could make sense. Um, otherwise, this has got to be either really, really bad fuel mileage or the guy's numbers are wrong. And he's so specific and he goes into so much detail, I, I kind of doubt that they're wrong. But I just, and I asked and couldn't get really an answer. I haven't got one yet. But um, so I got done finishing this article and then I was looking through social media and it was interesting that the next um, next several posts, like three in a row, I, it, this company just started showing up on my feed. And I don't know why. I think it's called Ohio Truck Sales. Um, but all of a sudden on my post, they show pictures of the sales guy standing there shaking somebody's hand saying, you know, they bought their truck today. Congratulations on, you know, your new Peterbilt. They're not new. They're used trucks. Um but the funny thing was, you see these people buying trucks, like right now, today, all three of them were 379s. And not just your average 379. All three of them had bumpers the size of billboards and, you know, giant drop shields. I don't even know how they see out of the window. Um, I, I just can't imagine buying one of those trucks today. 
It just, I just don't get it. Now, I've said many times, if you're in business and you can afford it, knock yourself out. You should drive whatever the hell you want. That, that's part of being in business. But you should also know the numbers. And I can just about guarantee these people do not know the numbers. Um, I did some math. And in today's world, the difference between a fully aerodynamic truck, forget all the other specs, Forget everything else. If you get gear ratio wrong, forget all that stuff. Just the difference between a fully aerodynamic truck today and a non-aerodynamic, a classic, will cost you $25,000 in fuel at today's price just to drive that classic. I, I, I've never understood it, but I certainly don't understand it with today's fuel prices. No. I saw, I drove in from Annapolis, Maryland yesterday, and I saw a 389 pull into one of the service plazas on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and it was a bright apple green, and I had to walk over and look at this truck. It was stunning, but I wanted to say there was a Jason driving, oh, Justin driving a blue with orange stripes 379 pulling a three-axle drop-deck trailer looked like he had armatures on it. I followed him for about 100 miles. I was uh, towing a Sea-Doo trailer. So, and the roads were very hot, very hot yesterday with 12-inch tires. So, I was staying between 60 and 65, and I passed him several times. He passed me several times, and he was a perfect gentleman. I watched him the whole time, mostly from behind him, watched his mannerisms, how he drove, and uh, I was impressed. And I don't even know who he is, but I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, you know, here, here's I've the thing. There are clearly owner-operators out there now, good business people. They know what they're doing. They've got their numbers down. They're driving classics. They know what it's costing them, and they choose to do that. I support that completely. I really do. It's your business. Do whatever you want. But I also see many, not, not the people I just talked about, but I see many, many, many people complaining about rates and brokers and all this other crap and high fuel prices, and yet $25,000 worth of expenses are based on that one decision right now, and people are still buying classics. Mm -hmm. well, anyway, I can also say the average speed yesterday from... Uh, on I-70 and the Pennsylvania Turnpike was between 60 and 65. The trucks have slowed down, slowed down. Um, before, I would get past sometimes at 80, and I didn't see that yesterday. I saw everybody driving uh, pretty responsibly. Yeah, I think so, we'll, we'll, we may start to see it more, but I haven't been out on the road since mm -hmm. I got home. Um, I spent enough time on the road that I want to be home for a while. Uh, so I haven't really seen it yet. On my, you know, my trip home a couple of weeks ago, trucks were just flying, especially out west. When you get out here and the speed limits are 80, they were all running 70, 75. Um, there were times when I was running 70 plus, which is unusual for me, and I was getting passed by trucks. Uh, at some point, I think you know, they'll finally start to get it and they'll finally start slowing down. For a lot of owner-operators, it's going to be way too late. Um, part of the problem is we have so many owner-operators um, in business today that have never seen a downturn. 
you know, if you look at the last 10 years in this industry, you could make an awful lot of mistakes as an owner operator and still pay the bills and make money. You know, you might be taking home 50, 55,000 a year, um, maybe even 40, but they were paying the bills. They were getting by rates were high enough and a bunch of them were making 60, 70 and 80 because rates were so high, even though they weren't controlling their expenses, they were still doing just fine, but they have no idea how to operate in an environment like this where rates go down quick and they're on their way back down again and fuel prices just don't seem to have any end in sight. I mean, a lot of us, no matter how long we've been in business, haven't seen anything like this because we're setting records on diesel prices every day. We've never seen prices like this. Okay. All right. So, uh, Bruce, you're up first today. What's on your mind? Well, we have a D-Deck 4 and a Freightliner in here. And somebody made a brutal mistake with this engine. There's a lot of wiring issues. Uh, Leroy's going to talk about the Jake brakes, but it has a K&N cone-shaped filter on it under the hood, and it's even like smashed, and it's dirty. And these filters are way too small. This is for race cars, race motorcycles, and things like that, not for semi-trucks. I'm I wouldn't doubt if this engine has a lot of liner bore polish. Liner bore polish is created whenever fine dirt gets past the air filter. It's in the air and it's riding on the cylinder walls and it takes a crosshatch off the cylinder wall. And once it does that, now the engine consumes oil. Um, I'm going to, I took a picture of this. It's going to be in the next magazine article I write. Uh, this is certainly a self inflicted problem. Hey, Bruce, and, yeah. has the oil been changed on that truck? I don't know. I just saw it today, and uh, the hood still didn't were setting the overhead on, and I, I was shocked when I saw this air filter stuck under the hood. I, if, if, um, if you're going to do an article on that, if you could check for me to see if the oil has been changed or not. If it hasn't been changed recently and we've got some miles on that oil, I'll pay for an oil sample if you'll pull one. Well, you know, we need to get the engine hot. Maybe we'll take it, put it on a dyno or take it for a ride. Yeah, I'd you like to see, to I'd, I'd love to see an oil sample and then we could point out exactly how and why it happened. Okay. All right, next is we have a very unusual project going on. We have a guy with a, a Harlan bus, H-A-R-L-I-N. It's from the mid-50s. And it's got what Cummins considered what they called a pancake engine. The engine lays on its side, and it has a very unique oil pan to, for the oil flow. It's on a three-degree angle, so the oil does drain out of the valve covers and down into the pan. A good friend of mine has one of these in a bus uh, in uh, Northern California. So this is the second one we've seen, and we're building this to be 800-plus horsepower. It's strictly a toy, and he wants to set the land speed record for buses. So we never know what's coming in here and what kind of phone calls we're going to get, but land speed record for a 1950s bus. Hey, Bruce, that engine was in there when I was— 
That engine was there when I was there, wasn't it? This pancake yeah. engine? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because we had to get it apart and get it to the machine shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we I thought... I got it back from the machine shop. I thought so. I was wandering around in the shop one night looking for something I needed, and uh, I came across that engine. I was like, what the hell is that thing? That is a bizarre-looking engine. Yeah, it's midway back underneath the floor. Why the bus, though? Well, because the Crown buses had them, and they were portable um, post office. They were using them on the West Coast. People would be sorting mail as the bus is driving from city to city. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, I guess we didn't worry about the insurance claims back then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's what they were made for, the old crown buses. Interesting. Next thing I want to talk about is when you order an exhaust manifold, one of our ported and ceramic coated manifolds, we need the part number off the center section of your manifold because a lot of these used trucks, let's say you had a 379 P, but somebody took the engine out of a Freightliner. The turbo will be sitting further forward and there'll be a different manifold. So if we send you the one that fits in a 379 then you're going to bolt it on and your turbo is going to be moved to the center Instead of the front, now you've got to alter the exhaust pipe. You have to alter your piping from the charge air cooler and the air intake piping. And people get upset because they said, you sent me the wrong manifold. No, we sent you the manifold that you asked for. So it's imperative that you get the part number off the center section. Sometimes it's hard to find. You can take your engine serial number and you can call Detroit or Cummins or Caterpillar and ask them, what is the part number of the center section of my manifold? If you know your truck has the original engine in it, you call Freightliner or whoever it is, you ask, give them the last six of the bin, tell them you need the center section part number. Or if you tilt your hood, you, a lot of times you can see it, unless it's covered. But it's imperative to have that part number off the center section. And I want Leroy now to go back to this D-Deck 4 here that uh, has this K&N cone-shaped small air filter on. This thing's not even a foot tall, Kevin. It's You're- about uh, 8 to 10 inches in diameter and about 12 inches long. That's how small this thing is. Bruce, you know, there's something else about the, the K&N filters that never made any sense to me. And, and I've used K&N filters forever. I love the company. I mean, off-road stuff, my ATVs, motorcycles, just about anything that they made a filter for, I would use. But they were always oiled foam, which, you know, makes Mm -hmm. sense. And the fleet air filter for trucks is an oiled foam filter. It makes total sense. That's the whole point of it. That's why it's better. Why did K&N choose to make foam filters for trucks that aren't oiled? Well, I don't know if this one's foam. I think this is gauze. Oh, really? The filters that you had years ago on your motorcycles, weren't they gauze? Some were, yeah. They also had some oiled yeah. foam stuff that I used for a lot of okay. off-road vehicles. But the whole point of foam is that foam is far more porous than paper. It allows air to flow right through it with almost no resistance, whereas paper has resistance. 
And then you think, well, if it's allowing all that air to flow right through there, the dirt must be getting in. And it would, except that you oil the foam and the oil attracts the dirt. That's the whole point. That's why oiled foam is so much better. So I never understood why their truck filters weren't oiled. Well, I can tell you, I think this is a gauze when I'll get up closer and look at it. But let's let Leroy talk about some other issues with this truck. All right. Go ahead, Leroy. Yeah, so the, the air filter is it's, it's under the hood, so it's not even getting cool air from the outside. So it's getting all that hot under air, under the hood temps. Oh, so this. So that's one th- thing. This is just like an open air filter under the hood, no ducting from outside to get to it? Yeah, it's like Fast and Furious style. Like they just put like a, a K&N air filter and they just fold it like right to the, the inlet. Holy it's got a 90-degree rubber elbow, 90-degree rubber elbow coming off the turbo, going up with this little K&N filter on it. Um, do, do we happen to know? Do we happen to know if the owner of this truck listens to the show? I'll be careful about what I don't I'm know. <laughs> I don't know. I feel bad we're going to rag it on it. But. Yeah, anyway, I don't want to. We're going to talk better on it now. Yeah, I don't want to say too much, but that's a horrible idea. Yeah. Well, there, there's a, a lot of horrible ideas. And kind of with the Jake situation is that at some point, it's a D-Deck 3, 4 engine. And at some point, they put D-Deck 5 Jake brakes on it. So... It's a different setup because on a 3.4, you have your low stage is um, two cylinders, your medium stage is four cylinders, and then your high stage is six cylinders, right? So a DDEC 5 splits it as the low is three cylinders, medium is six cylinders, and high is six cylinders with the VNT turbo, back, you know, creating back pressure. Oh, okay. So hey, I learned put- something today. I never knew that. Yeah, so with the VGT Turbo, that's why everybody says that the Jakes are so much better than, you know, on these newer trucks versus the older ones. Got it. Okay. But you put these DDX5 Jakes on it, and, you know, it, it basically just has low and high. <laughs> and, uh, this, well, I guess that it really only has high because the switch is also wired wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's just kind of a disaster and like the, the fan solenoid has just like a hot wire ran to the switch it's uh it, it's just a bit of a mess of frankenstein but that's kind of i feel like how 60 series have been for years they're just kind of cobbled together with whatever people get cheap off of their neighbor i don't know <laughs> oh boy anything else going on with this truck not that that's not enough uh, well, that's just for starters. I mean, we haven't put it on the dyno or anything like that. The guy also says it doesn't run very well. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, what, is there a split up the, there's a split somewhere in the cab or the bunk. JR was telling me. Oh, I don't know. JR was talking to the guy for probably two hours about all the issues. And JR at just the one point was just like, I know there's a whole history with this truck, but I don't need to know all of it. I just need to know what's broken right now. Yeah. That's something else that we face sometimes. And it's not as bad as it used to be, but whenever EGR first came out and then EGR and DPF and urea, people would want to tell us the life history, you know, the 12 different dealerships that it's worked on and what so-and-so did and what this person did. And that takes a half hour to 45 minutes to listen to that. 
And it's really not pertinent to what we want to do and what we need to do. We need to know what's going on right now and a little bit of history, not a documentation. You, you know, Bruce, I, I always kind of took a different approach to this with trucks and shops. You know, when you have a problem like this and it's been to multiple shops and I would do the opposite. Once I had a problem like that and people hadn't been able to fix it and had been into multiple shops, when I took it to a new shop, I didn't tell them anything. No history at all. I didn't want to influence what they checked or didn't check. You know, because when you tell somebody, well, this shop did this, well, then they may not even go look at that part. They'll just assume, well, the other shop did that. I think it's better just not to tell them anything. Here's my problem. You figure out what's wrong with it and you fix it. Yeah, I got an example of one in the shop right now. The guy says, you know, was adamant at the front counter that I, you know, I did a boost test. You know, I, I make sure it has no leaks in it. But the guy has an MBN and the wastegate line was, uh, on, you know, not connected. So it just has a giant boost leak. So you <laughs> yeah. have the MBN is a, is a 2003 Caterpillar. Yeah. Okay. So it's just like, you know. It's like you said, sometimes when people say, oh, I already checked this, I checked that, uh, you know, it, it does influence because you're like, oh, well, I don't have to go back through and check all this stuff. No, right. a, a shop should do all of her own yep. diagnosis. Yep. And I a agree. lot of people, when they do a boost, they're only checking the charge air cooler and not the entire system. That's another thing, yeah. Yep. And Leroy, you got me off guard there when you said the 3-4 Detroit. You mean D-Deck 3 and D-Deck 4. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, nice short and everything. <laughs> yeah, but you got to realize the people that are listening need to hear exactly what it is. They might say, what's a 3-4 Detroit? <laughs> oh, At oh. first, when it hit my mind, I said, what's a 3-4? And I said, oh, uh, D-deck 3 and D-deck 4. Yeah, the 3.4. <laughs> right. Hey, hey Bruce. Um, Pete, yeah. th- thanks for that picture. Pete sent me a picture of that air filter. Oh my God! You no. got to be kidding me! I like that, unbelievable. Yeah, and I, apparently he he bought the truck that way, and the previous owner does that to all his trucks. The hot air intake. Really? <laughs> this is not the first one that this done to. Yes. Oh. And we happen to have a, a cab over in the shop, uh, an old Big Camp Four Hundred in it, and I showed him that a Big Camp Four Hundred needs. 1,050 CFMs of air. And I showed him how big that filter was compared to his. And it's 10 inches in diameter, 12, 10 or 12 in diameter, and 18 inches long. Like, okay, this is what this engine needs. How could that little filter be enough? I mean, it simply can't be. Well, I, my guess is that really is a 600 CFM filter. It would be all that it could be. Right. It just can't be anymore. Right. So I'd love to hear if this guy does this to all of his trucks, why? And I, I would love to see some numbers on how things have changed, you know, fuel economy. I'd love to see an oil sample on one of these. But the whole, you know, when we're talking about air and intake on a diesel engine, the point is we want as much cold air as we can possibly get into that cylinder. It's almost like we can never get enough. That's why we have a turbocharger, a charger, a cooler. We're doing everything we can to get as much cold air, cool air as possible into that 
cylinder. Instead, this modification guarantees that you're only going to get a little bit of hot air. You're adding a throttle to a, you know, an unthrottled engine. Yeah, good point. Yeah. What a, I, I just can't imagine what somebody is thinking doing this. Then Leroy mentioned something else to me this morning about what people were doing off the internet. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, I've had a whole bunch lately that there's websites that are for file sharing, uh, people share information on there and stuff like that. Sometimes it can be helpful, but sometimes it can be detrimental when, you know, somebody makes a trade or posts something like a, a tune file, right? They put like, oh, this is a, 600 wheel horsepower DD15 file, and they put it up for free on the internet. Well, then some shop is like, well, I can just put this file in myself and, you know, make a little money and, you know, it'll be great. I'll give them 600 wheel and, you know, that's not dangerous. I set all my other trucks that way. Well, what they don't know is it really is like 700 wheel, which that engine can't handle, and the timing's all wrong and the fuel pressure's all wrong, and it's very dangerous for the engine. And I've had a few recently like that. And one quick way you can tell is if you hook up to like uh, diagnostic software, insight, whatever, if the serial number or VIN number doesn't match what's on your, your engine and you had it tuned somewhere, like if you're, let's say your serial number ends in, you know, one, two, three, and you pull up the serial number on it and it's like ends in, you know, nine, five, four, like, okay, th- this file came out of a different truck. It's not even for mine. It might be a different CPL. It might have a different switch configuration. Uh, you know, there could be a, a lot of things wrong with it. And it's just a quick way for people to make money. And it's pretty sad because, it, like I said, it can be dangerous for the engine. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, you know, we've talked about this so many times in the past. You know, it's bad enough when you get a shop that does something you know, poor mechanical work, but we can usually see it and figure it out. And But the, the ECM, the stuff they can do inside of an ECM, we can't see it. We have no idea what they're doing in there. So my point right. is don't let anybody tune that ECM that you don't completely trust. And you should ask them what they're doing in there. And they should be able to explain to you what they're doing and what it does and what changes it's going to make. And they shouldn't be pulling right. random files off the internet. <laughs> No, and like I said, there's a few clues that people that don't, they either can't get in the ECM or don't know what they're looking at. There are a few clues like the serial number's not matching or the VIN's not matching. That's yeah. kind of a dead giveaway that, oh, hey, so we got this for free. Like the popular one that keeps floating around is this like 600 horsepower ISX file. Okay. Well, a 600 horsepower ISX has a different compression ratio, a different turbo, different injectors, the whole thing. And then they shove it in an engine that came with 450. And they're like, well, it's a 600 now. That's what it says. When you open up Insight, it says 600. Well, it, and it's just a mess. That sounds like a mess. Hey, for anybody who wants to see that filter, um, I put the picture up on Trucking Tribe. You should go check it out. Um, TruckingTribe.com. <laughs> oh, maybe. No, maybe it's good that he does. Maybe he'll realize that he's killing his engine. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody else did. You know, if I could talk to this guy right now, I wouldn't, you know, try to shame him. I'm just, I would just try to help him and say, this is a really bad idea. Yeah, he didn't do it. He brought right. it this way. Right. But it needs to be done. So. 
And we still get a lot of phone calls from people that had their trucks deleted uh, and they want to bring them in and we don't take them in. We don't want the ECMs. And I know a guy that uh, had one done, ISX. He broke a piston. Then he bought a reman short block short block or long block from another shop that doesn't use genuine parts. It went 36,000 miles and broke the crank. And now he's buying another rebuilt block from the same people. And I know who did his ECM and I know the timings advanced. And I, I just, it befuddles me that he's continuing to do what he has done He's close to 70 years old, and he's really hurting himself. So, and then a lot of these used trucks that are out there are deleted, and you, you're going to buy it. You need to find out if it's deleted or not. If it's deleted, you might want to stay away. Bruce, I'll... I'll EPA is hot. There's let me jump in there. getting fined again. You said you might want to stay away. I'll say just absolutely stay away. Don't Don't buy this garbage. I agree. I don't care what the price is. Just, to, just, no way of doing, just don't buy this garbage. But it's going to cost either. Right. I mean, it could be upwards of 25 grand. Yeah. And you just got a truck, got payments on it. Now you're doing all that work. It gets darn expensive. <laughs> they get three miles per gallon. You can't even make <laughs> enough money to cover the cost. You know, put it back right. Yeah. All you got to do is run the knowledge catalyst. Oh, by the way, we put some in down in Maryland and a lady that works, uh, she does massage work for a chiropractor. We put it in her Hyundai and she came back the next day and said, oh my God, I can't believe the difference in that car. And we put it in his Volvo car uh, and it's a turbo our car Volvo and he was shocked at the difference. This is a guy that was working my chainsaw and laughed whenever I put two cc's in and he didn't think he'd feel a difference and he was stunned at the acceleration rate of the chainsaw so bruce you know i i I love those stories but i put some of the catalyst on the um on the chain for my electric chainsaw (laughs) and it really doesn't seem to be helping much you need a bigger battery (laughs) what what are you doing Uh, hey, anyway. you know, I'm going to tie some of this stuff we're talking about, all these goofy maintenance practices and trucks with deletes and lousy fuel economy and all kinds of problems. And I, I'm going to tie this into my open that for the last 10 years, this is the kind of stuff you've been able to do and get away with it and still make money and stay in business. And uh, that's about to change. Those are the this is the kind of stuff that's going to put people out of business. For sure. Yeah. And who gets blamed, either the mechanic or the engine manufacturer, when it was the person that actually did the, the things like put this air filter on? Yeah, I had a, okay. a call yesterday. Not a big deal, but, you know, it was, a, I think I had a couple of them that were similar, but I had like a D-Deck 4 that just had a 
really goofy oil sample. I was having a hard time figuring it out. Then it dawned on me what it was. It was, I'm almost positive. It was just one of those um, 60 series blocks that just shouldn't have been rebuilt. I think the block was just worn out. There was just all kinds of weird stuff happening in the oil sample where metals weigh sooner than we should see them, even though there wasn't anything in the oil that would have caused wear metals. Um, I have a feeling it's one of those in frames that's only going to last about 600,000 miles. All right. Let's get to some phone calls. Let's get started today in Colorado. Travis, welcome to the program. Morning, guys. How's it going? Good. What's on your mind today? Got, got a couple things for you. Uh, one, about the K&N filters. Uh, I put some of those in my truck and uh, what you're just talking about. I'm going to do a little experiment for you guys, and I'll let you know. So the K&N filters for the truck are gauze. They're quite dense, actually. I would say more so than their automotive line. But they say you don't need to oil them. So what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm gonna run 10,000-mile uh, intervals and do oil samples. I'll do the first two without oil and the second two with oil and see what that does to the uh, silicon content. Okay. And, uh, and, you know, that really makes a difference or not. And two, um, I think... Hold on, uh, I think hold Hold on one second. You're putting a KNN filter in your existing canister, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. This is not that. Correct. This is yeah. a small cone-shaped motorcycle-type uh, filter. Leroy said it looks like it's made for a Honda Civic. <laughs> right. So, this is not a replacement filter for in a canister. Yeah. KNN came out with that filter the one that you're installing to compete against the fleet air filter. So you're not losing CFM like this one did. So go ahead. Continue. Uh, Hey, hey, uh, Bruce, you know, I have that real quick. um, Travis, let me jump in here because I just had a thought. So I'm not really up on the K&N filters to date because I did the research on these years ago when we were first looking at the fleet air filter. So things may have changed. If they make an air filter for that truck goes in the canister, it's a foam filter, but they tell you not to oil it. I wonder if there would be any downside to oiling it. it you know, depending if they've, I would have to believe that if they designed it as a non-oiled filter, that that foam is probably a lot more dense than like a fleet air filter. If you don't oil a fleet air filter, you will get so much dirt inside that engine, it's insane. You have to oil it. If theirs works without oil, I don't think it works all that well, but if it works without oil, I'm almost wondering if you oil that filter, if you're just going to create a lot of restriction. I, I see where you're coming from with that, but I, I still think, I mean, think about, first of all, with the peat having two 28-inch cans on it, it's about as much airflow as you can feed to an engine. So I'm really not too worried about restricting it. Um, it still has to be more airflow than the paper Donaldson filters that used to be in it. Would you agree? I, I don't know. Well, that would be me, an interesting test. The Donaldson air filters or the Vortox on a peak, those are 1,700 CFM each, so 3,400 CFM. 
it's a lot of airflow, even with the paper. It's even more airflow with the K&N. Most right. people with the W9. Right. Most people with the 379, 389, and W9, when they put the bleed air filters in, they said, wow, I can really hear the turbo back through the air filter. So let me know if you hear that back through your K&Ns. I think you will. Gotcha. Do you have an air restriction gauge in your truck? I do not. That is on my to-do list to install. In fact, the little plastic one that's on the uh, intake tube is broken, so I, I don't even have that to go off of. I would put that in first. Put it in, okay. see what the stock filter is, put the K&N in and run it, and then if you do decide to oil it, you need to have the gauge there to see if it does cause a restriction. That's, and, you know, that that way we have numbers. And I think that's compare. a good idea. Gotcha. Yeah, I will do that for sure. Um, Bruce, you know, I have that, that two-liter four-cylinder BMW. I run the Catalyst in that. Got a race exhaust and also have a can and filter on that. I think the filter on that might be bigger than the one you guys were just talking about. <laughs> but, uh, I, I don't I doubt never it. Never has any problem anywhere. Um, okay, about the truck. So, Bruce, uh, we've done everything. We've done uh, cleaned the entire after treatment system at DPF Alternative, new turbo, full tilt manifold, damper, balancer. Um, fixed a few other odds and ends while it was in the shop. Injector cutout test passed. The EGR valve test passed. The uh, depth injector test passed. Only thing I haven't done is the tune, and this thing is still blowing through depth like crazy. I'm getting about 120 miles per gallon on the depth, and I'm at a loss. I don't know where else to look next. Leroy, is that outstanding in the East team? Yeah. Yeah, that's the how the program comes. Yeah, so that's a setting in the ECM. It's just set up a little that, too rich. Is that something that they can adjust using Insight? Uh, not with Insight, no. Okay, so when I get it tuned, uh, Jr. said he can he can change that when he does the tune. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yes. All righty. Well. Um, also, uh, Bruce, you mentioned I was listening to one of your first power hours uh, yesterday, one of the first ones you did when you got the new show up and running. You mentioned John Newby has 264s, and he runs heavy. You said around 100,000 pounds? and I think the last time I talked to him, he was 1.6 or 1.10. He's eight axles. So. Okay. So that gives me more confidence in wanting to re-gear because I did mention to you a uh, month or so ago in an email that I have an opportunity to pull heavy haul, but didn't know if that 264 gears was going to work against me. So How heavy are you talking? 116 or 118, I think, is what that authority pulls up to. I think you'll be okay. Call me after the show. I'll give you John's phone number and talk to him. Sounds good. Really All right. Well, um, and oh, one other thing. This morning, I got a code for SPN three five five six FMI five hydrocarbon dozer one current below normal or open circuit. That's the seventh injector, I believe. That yes. wouldn't have anything to do with with uh, poor fuel economy because I still 
has not gotten consistently above five and a half. Um, if that thing is leaking, is there a way to confirm that that's leaking and that would contribute to losing fuel or poor fuel economy? Um, if you wanted to confirm that, you can pull it out and prime the, the truck and run it and see if it leaks. Um, but if it's, I don't know which way it is, but I would assume open circuit means that it's not leaking. And the other thing is you would probably see it smoking if it was leaking bad enough to cause poor fuel economy. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, a drip here or there might happen, but that's not going to take you from like five to four. You know what I mean? Uh, Leroy, didn't you say there was a new ISX tune that did pretty good on fuel mileage this morning? Yeah. Yeah, JR did one that uh, worked out pretty well. And what did he gain? I think like, well, it's it's new, but I think he said he picked up like two miles per gallon. But wow. that's like a weekend, so you never know. Gotcha. But, uh, one definitely in a direction. One last question for you guys. Um, my other concern of what may have caused the high depth consumption is uh, very high inlet NOx levels. Uh, do you know what normal inlet NOx parts per million should be? Because from everything I've gathered, it should be around two to 300, and mine will sometimes spike up over 1,000. Yeah, two to 300 is fine for, like, idle. But, um, yeah, under full load, I've seen seven, eight, thousand yeah okay i mean maybe Already maybe a thousand uh, full load is a little bit much but uh yeah okay. i don't have that that solid number i just kind of know like a range you know what i mean okay gotcha all right well i think uh i think i'll be getting that tune here in a few weeks then and, and then we can go ahead and override that death issue as well because i can't keep my stacks clean right um, something while we're talking about fuel mileage, I just spent a few days with Dr. Jane Gates and, um, one of her very first people that she worked with was Bruce Luke on his ISX 2013. And she uh, did some new formulations just for him. And he was up 1.5, approaching almost two mile per gallon difference. But if we put it in the catalyst, it's going to require two ounces to 25 gallon versus one. So instead of costing you a penny a mile, it's going to cost you two cents a mile. We're going to have a conference call right after this show on this, and we're going to talk about this more. And if people are interested, call us, text us, uh, send us emails, let us know, call Kathy and said, yes, I'd like to have it and try it. Um, it's a, still has the catalyst, but it's going to have another very expensive chemical in it. If, if people are interested, we'll do it. I would love to stay up to date on that. Okay. Okay. Oh, uh, oh. All righty. What time do you want me to call you, Bruce? Call me uh, right after this show. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you. All right. Um, I have no idea what just happened in that call because, uh, unfortunately, during that call, I lost all of my internet completely. 
Um, the only reason we're able to keep going and hear each other is because we're all actually connected through a phone system, not the internet, but our live stream was off for um, several minutes. Uh, it just came back, so we're, we're fine. Normally, I could switch to a backup internet for, fairly quickly, but uh, I got caught not prepared today. I gave all of the uh, backup internets that we normally use. They're all like Verizon and AT&T and T-Mobile hotspots. I gave them all to Lisa because she's traveling. Um, I have a backup, but it's my Starlink, and it's out in the coach, and I can't access it from here. So let's hope the... Uh, it was just a temporary glitch, and we're back. So let's go to Kentucky. Ken, welcome to the program. Thanks, Kevin, for taking my call. Hi, Bruce, Pete, and Leroy. Hey, uh, this question primarily for Bruce. Uh, Bruce, I had a program on my 14-liter non-EGR Detroit, and uh, it advanced the timing to 16 degrees. And later I found out after I broke a valve that uh, standard advancement is in uh, four, about the four degree plus or minus one. And I'm just kind of willing it, wondering if you're willing to stand behind the program and the failure. It's our program. Yes, sir. I've been, I've been talking to Pete, uh, you know, about the issue and I didn't get a call back from you or Pete regarding the advancing of the timing. Well, Leroy, do you know about timing on that? Mm-hmm. So what's going on with that? Uh, this is, um, I'm drawing a blank on your name. I know the truck. It's well, Ken. Yeah. You know, I got the 14 liter that Sean Church, you know, the master, the master builder uh, built. Uh, put it in the uh, 1989 Kenworth. Uh, bought the bought the core from you guys. Uh, spent a quite a period of time getting it done right. You know, with counter bores and coating the pistons and ARP head studs and marine this and that and the other and and really had a, uh, a performance engine that I was hoping to get a lot of durability out of. Uh, and, I had advanced that was advanced that much. That's what I didn't know what was stock, but uh, uh, you know, I that's I, what I got. Though you had dropped the valve, and that's a Detroit Reman head, and it's three years old. I know it's low miles, but Detroit. We had talked to Detroit about it, and they don't want to hear it being it's three years old. Um, that was a valve failure. Advanced timing will crack heads and break pistons, but not break valves. But um, after our after our one thirty meeting today, we'll have another meeting on your behalf on this one. Okay. Okay. All righty. Thank you for for talking to me today. You're welcome. All right. Thanks for the Bye-bye. call. Let's uh, let's go to here's an, here's an example. Whenever you know whether it's Cat Cummins, Detroit, doesn't matter. Whenever they drop a valve, um, it goes back on the manufacturer and not on us. And uh, 
it. So we have to go by what the manufacturer says. Just like if you break a turbo, and whether it's a Holset or a Borg Warner or an Air Research, if they deny the warranty, it's there's nothing we can do about that. If it's just leaking oil, I don't have a problem putting new seals in it. But whenever you separate the turbine wheel from the shaft or you wear out the thrust washer because your air filters were dirty or you had wet air filters, and there's not much we can do about that. Because uh, we didn't manufacture it. We just sold it. Let's head off to California this time. Emerson, welcome to the program. Hey, morning, guys. That's the problem with listening to your show. I had one question, now I have three. Well, there you go. Um, For all you know, we might... For all you know, we might have six answers. Uh, Well, that'd be good, too. Uh, I've got uh, an ISX uh, CM2250 that we've been fighting fuel mileage on, and I just heard something about a fuel mileage tune for an ISX. Is that new and I might have great luck, or what, what do I do there? Go to one of my local yeah. tuner guys? Yeah, it's pretty new. I've been doing a lot of uh, testing on it. I uh, mentioned it before. The uh, constantly trying to make them better, and the last two months uh, kind of completely changed the way that we've been doing them. And uh, they seem to be having a lot of success lately. So, Yeah. Well, good. We're, we're out in southwestern Oregon, and I know there's two remote guys, and we'll go see them, and we'll get, get in line. Um, as far as DEF consumption, we're out in the west running hard up and down I-5, the, the Siskiyous and Cascades and all that. I get about 135 miles per gallon on DEF. That's, that's common. Uh, flat yeah. ground pumps up, but... So that guy's maybe not too far out of line, but if we can adjust it, even better. Uh, big reason I'm calling today, same truck on the fuel mileage tune. Uh, for my wife's birthday, I get to buy brand new gears for the front differential. The whole drop in, everything. And the truck's got coming up on 1.2 million. Uh, we did a rear end on that end power divider just over two years ago, Reman. Uh, something broke. I'm on my way now to go check it out. But while we're at it, I'm going to do the rear, rear end also because it hasn't been touched yet. And now seems like a perfect time to do gears. Go to the 264, 279, something like that. Um, it's a 525 horse ISX with a uh, uh, 1850 torque, 13-speed double over. And um, we're generally 70. It's a uh, 2012 T660. And we're generally 90% loaded and 75 to 80,000. Low Pro 22.5 tires? Yep, and they're super singles even. Okay, good. Then you want the 264. Okay. We, we got 355s in there now. So if I go 264s, are we looking at direct generally or first overdrive? Or? No, no, direct and your RPM and speed will be the same, but you'll be one full gear lower. Okay. 
and then when we get out in Nevada, Utah, places like that, we can go a little faster and use the extra gears. So now, would I be expecting much in the way of a fuel economy difference just with the gear change? You're going direct drive. A lot, or do you drive it with your foot on the rolling hills and hills? On the rolling hills with the foot, but on on the big hills, use the power. I, I'm, I'm bad about that. So you, you're using the cruise control on the mountains. No, 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 no. It's a, the first part of what you asked. It's all with the foot. Okay. Dead dead level cruise control is fine. Whenever you yeah. see the boost going up and down, up and down, it's telling you it's not level. So yeah, well the the flat parts I five are flat. When they're not flat, we're we're using the foot all the time. You know, a lot of guys will say I did the manifolds, did the turbo, did the tune, and then they want to go out and set the cruise control at seventy mile an hour. Well, the cruise control is doing everything it can and using all its power. So you don't gain fuel mileage. If you make changes, but you don't change your driving habits, then you don't basically change fuel mileage. Yeah. Well, and like you said, we're using Catalyst. We're using the fleet air filter. We've got the manifold. Just got that on three weeks ago. Uh, engine was was in frame last uh, June. Um, she's, like you say, the... the, the white singles, several other things. And uh, I know it's going to be kind of a retraining kind of thing, uh, going to the lower gear, startability and things like that. But being as out to 13 and we got that deep, deep first gear anyway, um, we can we can do that, I'm sure. But uh, that's what I figured. We were going to do the both rear ends. One's broke, the other's, who knows. We might as well just do it while we're there. Let's, Kevin, you drove with 264s. How about starting out? You know, I noticed almost no difference. There, There's a little bit. You ride the clutch a little harder to get it, you know, out of a hole somewhere. But other than that, I didn't notice any big difference. Reverse got a little fast. Um, backing up was a little trickier. But it's, it for the most part, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, that's, I didn't want really to hear that part because we run spread axles and they're a pain in the ass to back up anyway. So, you know, getting into docks and things, but I'm sure we can figure that out. Yeah, you'll you'll figure it out. It, it, it is a it's a faster gear in reverse. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, like I said, I don't think I'm going to enter incur any extra cost by doing it that way. Um, the shop that I took it to, they do the rebuilds themselves, or uh, depending on cost uh, breakdown, they do have a really high-end reman unit that they utilize. So uh, I'm an hour and a half away from the shop. We'll go find out real quickly here. So anyway, that's all my questions for today. All right. Okay. That'll do it. Um, guys, I'm fighting with my internet again um i don't think we've gone off, we may have gone off again i'm not sure but i'm struggling i can't get to the calls in fact i'm having trouble dropping this call right now um 
I think we're going to wrap this up. I've got the pit coming up in a half hour, if I can get uh, figure out what this problem is. Um, before we go, though, did we talk last week? I can't remember if we talked about this or not on this show. I know I brought it up on one of the shows last week um, about the Freightliner modules being stolen. No, no. So the, um, I didn't even know what this is. The CPC, the common powertrain controller module. Mm-hmm. What does that do, Leroy? Uh, it's sort of like the cab controller for, uh, okay. ED engines. Okay. It's like the interface between the MCM and the ACM as far as like if the after treatment switch is pushed, what's the throttle position, you know, stuff like that. Okay. So here's the interesting thing. Um, as long as I've been doing this and taking calls and uh, as long as we've been doing this show, does anybody ever remember a call where the CPC was a problem? I didn't even, I've never even heard it's, of it. It's a big issue right now. Yeah, no, it's a big issue right now. I get calls for it all the time um, and you can't get them. There's people selling them on eBay for, you know, $6,000 plus. It's yeah, kind of like that's... the uh, death sensors last year. If you have one, put it on eBay for a bunch of money because there's a whole bunch, whole bunch of trucks sitting. I get calls of guys own fleet and they're just like, can you do something? I have 13 out back. So that's, you know, that's it, what's yeah, happening now. People are breaking into dealerships and auction yards and trucking companies specifically to go steal these modules. And I guess if you could buy a new one, they're like 1400 bucks. But like you said, they're selling for six and $7,000 on the, uh, the black market yeah. is what they're calling it. Cause they're, if you are paying six and $7,000 for one, you're probably buying one that was stolen. Yeah. No doubt. So now wow. imagine so whether it's a, stealing the cab what's that Bruce? People are breaking in and stealing somebody else's cab computer. Yeah. Yeah. And and when they go Where into some of these yards, by? they're they're taking thirty of them at a time. We should hire them. Probably <laughs> <laughs> doing as much damage as well. The, the damage getting done to the truck would probably be in, in the thousands of dollars. Oh, they're probably just ripping into yeah. I guess yeah. I think consider they're not taking apart nicely. Like, it, yeah, they're probably going to that. <laughs> Yeah, four thousand worth of damages to steal a fifteen hundred dollar part. Well, and and you're right; they're causing they're causing more damage. You know they're doing that. But here's the other thing: if they're stealing these, it's because nobody can get them. If you have ten of your trucks and yeah. somebody steals ten of these things, you're really screwed. That's ten trucks that just became paperweights. Yeah. Wow. Remember years ago, they used to steal the Vortox air filters. Back in the 80s and 90s. That's why a lot of them had locks on them. Kind of uh-huh. like a, a lock for a, uh, a fancy tire, you know, in your car. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, the difference. they had locks on the Vortox because people were stealing them. And they were expensive. We're talking, you know, 30 years ago. Right. That was yeah. kind of a, uh, and that would be a pretty quick thing to, to knock off, too. Oh, yeah. But today with cameras everywhere, I mean, we have cameras here. We can see trucks pulling in and out, and we can watch it and see who's coming in at 3 o'clock in the morning. And doesn't every place have cameras? And 
all these food manufacturing places that are being torched. Don't they have cameras and seeing the people coming in and doing this? You would think, because like you said, cameras are everywhere today. We have cameras at our house. We have cameras at our business in the warehouse. I mean, cameras are just so cheap anymore. You you might as well have them. Uh, the biggest use for our cameras down at the warehouse is busting people, putting stuff in our dumpster. It's shocking how often people do that. Yeah. And I know they think it's no big deal. It's, it's just the dumpster, but it is a big deal because we pay for a certain size dumpster and a certain number of pickups when people put stuff in there, then we can't get ours in there and we have to call them out for an early pickup. And, um, but that's about the biggest use of our cameras is catching people putting stuff in our dumpsters. But the other thing is too, a lot of times you may have an image on a camera, but if you can't get a license plate or how do you identify somebody? Yeah. One one nice thing is the old 379s that get terrible fuel mileage don't have CPCs. <laughs> <laughs> so they might cost you a fuel, but at least they're not broke down. And they don't have one boxes either. At least yeah. they keep going. 379s and W9s yeah. do not have one box. No cab computers. <laughs> well, there you go. There uh, you go. You know, uh, Cross and Sons are our dealer out in Seward, Nebraska, they're buying old trucks and they're taking these cabs down to the bare everything. Everything's gone out of it. And then they start and they rebuild it. And they're, they're staying with the, um, I think, 99 and older. And they're doing beautiful jobs on them. Every now and then, uh, Dean will post on Facebook uh, the next one that's coming out. And a lot of other people are doing this, rebuilding the old trucks from um, the wiring harnesses up and eliminating these problems. You know, Matt just sent me a text. This is interesting. John Deere is having the same problem with the GPS globes being stolen off tractors parked in fields. It's a six to $8,000 part, and I guess they've been backordered for a while. Yeah, with a lot of this new stuff, it's, I mean, they're great when they're going, but if they break down, it's hard to get stuff for in today's world. So. Wow. When the tractor uses the GPS to, uh, I know they're, aren't they on automatic cruise and they keep the rows straight and things yeah. like that? Yeah. They try to minimize any sort of mistakes. A- any waste. Yeah. So the, the, each row is perfect, so you get more per pass, more, more bushel of corn or soybean right. or whatever it might be. Right. It's all for efficiency. Wow. What a crazy time. You know, there's just so much weird stuff going on with shortages and people stealing things because there's shortages. And Bruce, you mentioned all the food factories burning down. Uh, We're very familiar with one of them, a company we order from, been ordering from them for years. They started here in Oregon and now they are the largest distributor of like organic and natural food. Started on a farm here in Oregon. It's called the Azure Standard. Now they ship all over the country. Um, it, it's kind of a hybrid model. They will ship right to your door, but they don't do that very often. It's pretty expensive. What they normally do is they just have drop locations. So I have like six or seven different drop spots that are within 20 minutes 
of where I live. So I can just pick one and this is the day they deliver. So you put in an order and then on that day you get an email and it says, Hey, your order's there and you just go pick it up. Um, I love it. They have awesome products. So we actually started talking to the owners. Um, they were here locally. So I got talking to them and, um, they actually reached out to me because they have a lot of drivers, um, semi drivers. So they, you know, we were talking about, uh, possibly partnering with them and, you know, doing some recruiting for them and finding drivers. I love the company, just everything about it, but, um, everything's kind of on hold right now. Their, their main plant burnt down. Well, there's about uh, 30 of them listed on Facebook today that have burnt them in the last couple months. And a good friend of mine listed this and, uh, he's quite the businessman from Ogden, Utah. And he runs all A model KWs, plus he has ranches and other things. And uh, I'm I'm scrolling through right now trying to look for it. But uh, yeah, there was another I one that I Lisa. Bruce. I actually posted a list like this about a month ago. Um, I did it when Azure Standard, you know, burnt down because it seemed to me like I had been seeing more and more of these headlines. So I went looking, and I found a huge list. And the numbers are way up from a normal year. I mean, any year you have fires, factories have issues. I mean, that happens all the time. And a lot of people have tried to push back and say, oh, this isn't unusual. No, it's really unusual. The numbers are way up. Yes, this happens in any given year, but not the kind of numbers we're seeing right now. Uh, So I posted a list like this. And just this week, there was another big um, uh, egg processing facility that burnt down. I think I read somewhere it might have been one of the largest in the country. You're absolutely correct. And there's been several since. So somebody's torching these and why can't they find out who's torching them? Maybe they don't want to. Maybe they don't want to. Just like uh, whenever the pallets of bricks would show up. Yeah. When we were having all these uh, uh, pallets of bricks. Now, you just don't uh, pull up and drop off a pallet of bricks. You have to you know, have the forklift or have the boom. And yet on yeah. every intersection, there's cameras. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're going to wrap. Well, let me make sure we don't have any calls. Um, well, my Internet's still not responding on the call board. So, um we had a couple issues with the live stream today. The recording should be fine. So um, we'll wrap this up. We'll get that recording up for people. And uh, we'll do this again next week. Anything you guys want to close with? I don't have anything. No, no I don't. All right. Just be careful on when you're buying used trucks. Stay away from the, the butchered and deleted trucks. Good point, um, Bruce. I get messages weekly from people buying these trucks and problems and we don't want them in here all right and don't forget if you get a chance um and there's some miles on that oil fine if you have in here i think i think the fine's like twenty five thousand dollars if um, somebody from the government walked in and saw a deleted truck and we were working on it plus the mechanic gets fined five or six thousand the so mechanic does? Penalty. Really? Yeah, the mechanic gets penalized, and so does the shop. Wow. 
Yeah, stay away from them. Missions today work well. That, when you take I mean, care of them, spec them right, drive them right, yeah. use the catalyst, keep things clean, you won't have emission issues. All right, then, we're going to wrap I, this. I, I like seeing nice, clean stacks on trucks now. I, I enjoy seeing that clean stack and not seeing smoke every shift. And, and I, we all have to do our part. You know, I completely agree with that. And I've been saying that the whole time, you know, we started dealing with emission issues on trucks back in 04, 05. As soon as they started putting emissions on them, we started dealing with problems. We dealt with some some major problems in the beginning. But I, I've said the same thing. I'm all for cleaner air. And, and I'm fine. I, I wish it would have been handled better. I think it was a disaster the way they handled it. I wish it would have been handled better. We're through most of it. We do have another round of emission standards coming up in a couple of years. Hopefully, we're better prepared for it this time. Uh, but I, I'm glad that trucks are much cleaner now. I've said this a couple times. Um, when I went down to Costa Rica, all of our old mechanical engines are down in, in you know Central and South America now because that's where we ship them when we're done with them. Uh, and going up some of those two-lane mountain roads in Costa, Costa Rica looks a lot like West Virginia. And it's actually about the same size as West Virginia. It's not that big. Um, a lot of two-lane mountain roads, and you get behind two or three trucks that are down to 20 or 25 miles an hour, and they are all just rolling smoke. You almost can't breathe when you're behind them. Yeah, and you know what's really nice is when we start a truck in the shop, uh, it doesn't smoke out the shop. Um. My coach was kind of bad for that. Every time I started up my coach in the shop, I thought I was going to kill everybody. Mm-hmm. So, I remember. Yeah. You know, on the days of the old small cams and early big cams, and we'd retard the timing and build them to seven, 800 horsepower. And we had the two bay shop. We had to open both doors and put the fans on and, uh, Let's walk away for 10 minutes. Yeah, especially <laughs> we used a lot of uh, 30 weight oil, 30 or 15W40 mixed with STP on the piston rings and liners. When you drop the pistons, we had to burn all that out, and there would just be white smoke pouring out of the building. Yep. And, uh, between fiberglass and diesel smoke, my lungs are pretty full. Yeah. Exactly. All right. We're going to wrap this up. I will be back. Hopefully I can get the uh, technical issues worked out. I'll be back in about 15 minutes with the pit. We plan on starting the pit at uh, 1230 Eastern time, 930 here on the West Coast. So we will see you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford.